All right, preparing to live stream. Let's see if we are live streaming or not. We are live streaming. Yay. Hello, everybody in YouTube land. It's good to see y'all. Okay, so um, tonight we're going to finish Galatians. And after meeting with the executive committee, I have decided, I'm sorry, they have decided, we have decided that um, we're going to study Micah next. Micah, a minor prophet. Um, so Micah, let's, I don't want to spoil too much because you come back next week to the exciting beginning of Micah after you have the exciting conclusion of Galatians tonight. But Micah is a prophet that is contemporary with Isaiah. So um, around, he's an 8th century prophet, which is the 700s BC. So we will talk about Micah. Now, Micah kind of consists in, if you just kind of look at it briefly, if you want to read it before next week, basically has three main prophecies in it. And you can kind of, those are pretty easily divided in the book. So three main prophecies. It deals with um, what's called the Assyrian problem, which remember the Assyrians had attacked the Northern Kingdom in 722 BC and destroyed Samaria and basically ransacked all of Israel. The Southern Kingdom of Judah was then under this a threat from the Assyrian <clears throat> attack as well. And so Micah is, is talking about that. And remember the, the Southern Kingdom of Judah does not go into exile under Assyria, but actually later in 586, 587, that time period, well, that's the final deportation. It starts in 601, but but by 586, 587, Jerusalem is destroyed by the Babylonian kingdom. So um, these prophets, uh, Micah is one of them, is going to talk about um, the Assyrian problem, but he's going to talk more importantly about how God's people are neglecting uh, their identity as God's people. And um, yeah, that's why the exile is coming. So that's what Micah is about. It's got actually several famous verses in it. So hopefully you look forward to that. So come on back for that next week and we'll do a little Old Testament type stuff. Um, we'll do it a little different than we do New Testament stuff, but but um, that's okay. Basically, we'll just take larger chunks because it's hard to read Old Testament books verse by verse. They're just not written the same way as epistles are. That is really kind of theologically written. So Micah is more um, po poetry and prophecy. So Micah, M-I-C-A-H. We'll, we'll do that next week. Okay. Um, let's see. That's all I know. And we, um, yeah, so I'll record this on my phone just in case we decide to post this at some point as a post podcast or something. So uh, we will pray and then we'll get started with Galatians with the goal of finishing Galatians. So we will pray. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Indeed, hallelujah. hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we rejoice that we are together again this night around your word. And we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit for wisdom that as you read these words in Galatia, Galatians, we would do so according to your will, rejoicing in all the good things that you give to us, the good things that you give to us in your word, the good things you give to us through the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the good things you give to us by your Holy Spirit. So let us continue to Rejoice in your goodness toward us and let us ne never weary then in doing good as we participate in the grace and mercy of your kingdom by receiving your love and loving others. So bless us now in our time together. 
in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. So Galatians six is the last chapter of Galatians. That's why I keep talking about finishing Galatians. And um, it is kind of Paul's conclusion to his letter. Um, as, as we get to the end, we'll see a little more of Paul's kind of personal style, but we're still finishing up this kind of last section of teaching. So <clears throat> last week we talked about um, bearing with one another in the church as someone falls into sin we don't take that or, or is trapped in sin or is tempted by sin. That's not an, an opportunity for, for the rest of the church to kind of say, ha ha, I gotcha, or to, or to mock them or put them down or to trap them or to judge them even. But instead, it's an opportunity for the church to um, help them, to, to restore them in the forgiveness of sins, to point them to Christ, to help them as they deal with their tempt temptation moving forward. And then Paul goes on and explains that um, we don't boast by looking at somebody else and say, well, I'm better than them. Therefore, you know, I have to do pretty good. But instead, each of us stands before the judgment seat of God with our own sins. And um, I don't say I'm doing good based according to I'm doing better than you or you're doing better than me. But instead, uh, we all stand equally before God. And we will get this week onto what that means and how does that work out for us as believers as we live in light of the coming in times and second coming of Christ. So that's kind of what's ahead of us today. Um, any questions from last week or anything you've been thinking through you wanted to ask? Don't think so. Okay. Well then let's read Galatians six verses six through 10. One who is taught the word must share all good things with one, one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the, from, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows in the spirit will have the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary or do any good for in the in the due season we will reap if we do not give up so then as we have opportunities let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith okay thank you very much so like i said kind of the concluding part of his his teaching section here um as he kind of laid out the theology just justification by grace through faith and now he's kind of talking about how we live this out in the church so so number one what is the focus of the believer's life? Spreading the word. Okay, that is that is something that in other places that's talked about, but is that what's that's not really mentioned here at all? I mean, but yeah, that, you can get that from other places, perhaps. Sharing. Sharing what? Uh, share where to go. Uh, all good things. Yes. Okay. Good. So good. Oh, that's funny. So what Paul is getting at is the focus of our life is good. Is good, the good things we focus on good, right? 
and and this is really kind of something that maybe doesn't isn't talked about much or, or maybe maybe people assume but but it's something we need to kind of think about is that the the death and resurrection of christ actually removes from us our sin and the penalties of our sin so that we're no longer focused on sin we're no longer focused on evil we're no longer focused on selfishness right and remember all those those terrible things that we talked about in Galatians 5, sexual morality and impurity and slander and envy and strife and jealousy and all these horrible things, right? We, we talked about how that's that's what sin teaches us to do, but, but we've been set free from that because of the death and resurrection of Christ. We've for, been forgiven of those things, and now instead we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control these are good things right these are good things so now listen to what he says now if you're leaving if you're living in this goodness and you have someone who's teaching you this goodness then you should share with that teacher these good things see and so the focus of the christian life then is on these good things it's not on these evil things but instead we're encouraged and and the holy spirit teaches us to focus on good things okay now just a quick word. We'll get back to that idea in a second, but just a quick word about verse six. A lot of people take verse six, one who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. And so um, a lot of people, including some teachers, not this one, but some teachers would say, you owe me money. Okay. You got to share your good stuff with me. Therefore I need your iPhone. That's good. I need it. I'm sharing the word with you. You have to pay me. Some people take it that way. Some people interpret this to be uh, earthly riches, but I, I really don't think that actually fits at all with the book of Galatians. I think if you read the book of Galatians, this is actually talking about sharing the goodness that is the kingdom of God. Okay. So previously we're going to do this. We're going to share the kingdom of God with those who are struggling. We're going to bear the failings of the week. We're going to help them out. We're going to bring them up, right? If someone is sinning, we're all in this together. We're all the body of Christ. We're all equal. No one's better. No one's worse. We're all in this together. We're all equally sinners and we're all equally forgiven. Therefore, when someone falls, we help them up. Well, same thing here is that what do you have in common with your, your teachers in the faith? What do you have in, in common with those who do good things for you? You have goodness in common, right? You have, you have the goodness that is the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kingdom of God. So Paul is saying here, he's the one that's teaching them the word. And he's saying, yeah, pizza is good too, right? But Paul is actually saying to those who, who have now heard the word and he's taught the word, he's saying, hey, we, we're sharing in this goodness together, right? So, so this, this grace that I'm, I'm teaching you, you also share with me. We're, we're in this together. The teacher of the word receives from those who hear the word the same goodness. And we live in this reality of the goodness of the kingdom of God together. And this really is then what the, the church is, the, the body of Christ is we're living in this reality of the goodness of God um, that comes from the forgiveness of sins. Okay. Does that make sense? Any, any thoughts or questions on that other than pizza, which does distract me a little bit. Can I ask a question about verse 10 or are we going to get there? Should you I wait? We'll get there and you can ask a question about it both. Can I ask the question now? You can. 
Okay. Um, why does it say, especially to those who are of the household of faith? Because why does it say especially? Because shouldn't we share um, the goodness with everyone? Because probably the people who don't have faith need it more than those who do already, right? Mm. Because they're the ones who need to be brought to Christ. Mm. Okay, so this is number five, right? So we're going to skip number five and we'll come back, which is fine. Because it does actually, it fits with the same thing we just been talking about. So verse 10 is a very, is a very troubling verse for some people. So then as we all have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And then Paul says, especially to those who are in the household of faith, which household of faith, um, we'll get there later, but household of faith is, is kind of an allusion to the old Testament idea of the house of Israel, a little bit different phraseology, but that's kind of what it means. So this is basically saying that, that are the special focus or the special focus of, um, Sorry, the special focus of our good works is actually to the church. And and Annika, what you're getting at is kind of don't we need a good to those outside the church? So they can they can maybe see our good works and uh, hear the gospel. Yeah, that's true. But but what Paul is actually getting at, and this is very consistent in the New Testament. I've taught you guys this in, on on Sunday mornings at church, is that the New Testament very much pictures that the primary focus of doing good, of um, serving the poor of helping out it's always the church okay the church always serves the church it's the body of christ and it's it's very um it's very important to understand this and why because what the first thing that paul's talking about and the most important thing is that we're actually sharing in the goodness of the kingdom of god which is the benefit of the death and resurrection of Christ. And the people that you have that in common with are the church. That is the, what makes up the church. And so the, the very most important thing for us as Christians is that nobody in the church is suffering and um, isn't receiving the goodness that is all of ours in Christ Jesus. So the most important thing should be for each of us in the church to make sure that the church, no one's suffering in the church. Jesus even teaches this to his disciples in the upper room in John, where he says, "You will, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another, right? By, by the way the disciples treat other disciples, by the way the church, well, there you go. There, Peter just posted it. What? So it's in the chat. Um, Peter said, it's John, that's right. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know you are disciples if you have love for one another. And um, so, so, and just think this through for a second. This is, this is actually true in our world right now is that a lot of people don't like the church. Why? Because we're fighting each other. The world actually gets this. They go, wait a minute. If you guys are all Christians, you shouldn't be fighting each other. You're all on the same team, right? And so they look at the church being all splintered and fighting and hating each other and being mean. And they kind of go, well, what is this? If you're all followers of Jesus, shouldn't you be, I don't know, like at least nice to each other? And, and that's kind of what, what Paul's even getting at here is that the, the first and foremost focus of our sharing in this goodness, which is the goodness that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is that we share that with those who are also in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Think about this for a second. 
if all of us in the church are living this way with each other in the church, guess what? Now, I don't have any needs because my needs are being taken care of by the church and by everybody else. So then what can I do for my neighbor who isn't in the church who has needs? See, now I'm, I'm perfectly fulfilled and good to serve that person and to hopefully bring them into this fellowship where we're sharing good with each other, right? And what a thing to invite them to. Hey, look, you can come be part of this family where we treat each other like family, where we love each other, where we serve each other, where we help each other when we're struggling, when we bear each other's burdens, right? You welcome them into that. And so it's not, um, one commentator said this, and I thought it was really well said. A lot of people read this verse and, th and see it as an either or, but it's not. It's more of a both and. That we, we serve the church first and we continue to serve the world with that same gift of goodness that is ours in Christ Jesus through his death and resurrection. Okay. So um, that's exactly um, kind of, Annika, does that help a little bit? Is that? Yeah. So the church basically takes priority. Yeah. It's, it's the first place we go, but it's not the only place that we do good. Evan? Yeah. Wasn't Paul collecting funds and goods for the brethren in, in Jerusalem? Yeah. So and now we're, we, the church, are the new Jerusalem. So that's. Yeah. That um, so, so throughout Paul's letters, there's this collection for the poor in Jerusalem that he's, that he's taking up, um, especially in the Corinthian correspondences. And then it's in the book of Romans mentioned a couple other places. And some people do think he could be alluding to that as well that but again i don't that's that's not clear in the book of galatians and historic and time-wise speaking this probably isn't referring to that um but yeah in his other letters he does talk about an opportunity to serve the saints in jerusalem by um this collection for the poor and again the poor in jerusalem he's talking about are the poor christians he's not talking about the poor non-christians he's talking about poor christians in Jerusalem, he even talks about them as, as right, this. But if, but Jerusalem now is the church, right? Well, at this point, yeah. So when when he's, I saying, mean, now in our in our oh, area. in our reality, yes. So it's the same principle. Jerusalem, yeah, basically, yeah, exactly. It's the same principle. So it'd be the church. That's right. Yep. Okay. Good. Um, one thing I've been kind of well. Let's see. We do have to get finished tonight, so I want I want to be careful. It's already 720 and we're on number one still, but we've done five. So it, that kind of counts. All right. So number two, so what are you sowing? So it goes on. It says, God's not going to be mocked, meaning you're not going to pull a fast one on God, right? You're not going to fake him out. So he knows what you're doing. So um, whatever you sow that you will reap, right? So whoever sows the flesh from the flesh will reap corruption, which doesn't end well, by the way, that's death. And the one who sows the spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. Okay. So what are you sowing? Your actions and words. Okay. And your actions and words. And what, what are those, what are those full of? Well, they're not supposed to be for yourself, but for right. others. They're supposed to be for others. So so here's what I want you to just kind of conceive of 
and and we can't forget what we've read in all of Galatians so far. He's not going to all of a sudden pull a fast one on you and say, all of a sudden we're back to saying you have to obey the law, right? He's not going to do that because he spent the whole letter saying it's not about obeying the law. It's not about circumcision. It's not about works of the law. What's it about? It's about Christ crucified. It's about living in the forgiveness of sins, in the grace of God, in justification by grace through faith. It's about living in that. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us that and keeps us in that. So when he says, so what he's talking about is you're going to sow goodness and the goodness that you're sowing is actually the goodness that is the result of God's action in Christ to save you. Okay, so you're going to actually sow as a Christian, you're going to sow that which is from Christ Jesus as the one who dies and rises to save you. So this goodness is what you're going to sow. You're not going to invent goodness in yourself. You're not going to get goodness by observing the law. Instead, you're going to sow that which has been given to you, the goodness, the love, the mercy of God. Okay, and this is who the church is. We are the body of Christ, the ones that God has sent his son to die for. We are those who have been baptized into Christ, who have the Holy Spirit. And so we live lives not of ourselves, but we live lives in what God has done for us in Christ. And we say, hey, my sins are forgiven. A sinner who doesn't deserve God's grace, a sinner who doesn't deserve anything but punishment. We say it in, in the liturgy, right? We say we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. What a terrible thing to say when you go to church. But that's what we say. We say, we say before the almighty eternal God, we deserve punishment. But guess what? He doesn't give it to us. He doesn't give it to us. Instead, he forgives our sins. Instead, he loves us. And he takes those sins and he nails them to a cross. And on the third day when he rose again, he said, now this eternal life is given to you by grace through faith to all who believe it. And so we live in that goodness, which is the gift of God in Christ Jesus, that goodness that overcomes sin, death, and the power of the devil, that goodness that changes us from living for what our sinful flesh tells us to live for, our own passions, desires, that forgiveness that says, you're not enslaved to that stuff anymore, right? Remember Galatians 5? You're not enslaved to that stuff anymore. Instead, you get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these good things. And what does Paul say in Galatians 5? He says, against such things, there is no law. You're free to do them. And so this is the goodness now that we're sowing. We're going about sowing this goodness, right? We're going about sowing these good things, not, not by our own strength, but by the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to this. You guys know the story. Matthew chapter 25, separation of the sheep and the goats. Jesus says to the sheep, those on his right, he says, you did these things. You fed me. You clothed me, right? You did all these things. And they're like, what do they say? They say, when did we? I, I don't remember doing those things. See, the goodness that they're sowing is not from themselves, but it's the Holy Spirit working in them. And Jesus says, you were doing good because when you're doing these things, at least of these brothers of mine, what is brothers of mine? That's the church, right? These least of these brothers of mine, you did it unto me. And what he's saying is the goodness that you lived out in your faith was actually a goodness that didn't come from yourself, but was a gift of God in Christ Jesus. And, and here's the thing. 
we're not going to get past number two. We're supposed to finish tonight. That's never going to happen now. I got a quick question. Yeah, go ahead. So is it still that same type of goodness if they do that to people who aren't brothers of Christ, who aren't Christians? Why would is you do that to them? Well, why wouldn't you do good things to everyone? Why would you? Because we're called to do good works. To who? What about mission work? Well, don't answer a question by changing the subject. <laughs> I'm trying to think of examples. Exactly. No moving yeah. the goalposts. You can't just move things. So, so why why would I serve someone that isn't a Christian? Because they're still our neighbors, and we're still supposed to love everyone. Only if neighbor doesn't mean fellow Christian. You got to do better than that. Come on, I'm not gonna let you off that easy. Who did Christ die for? Everyone. Everyone. That's why we do it. We serve everyone for whom Christ died. Everyone. Right? So we look around in our world and we say, who is that person? Is that someone for whom Christ died? And the answer is always yes. yes. And so we say, okay, God loves that person. How should I feel about them? You should love them too. Okay, so that's why you do good to those who are outside of the household of faith, as well as to those primarily inside the household of faith, because that's somebody for whom Christ died. And if that person is someone for whom the very son of God shed his blood on a cross and three days later rose from the dead and conquered death in the grave for that person, perhaps I should, you know, be nice to them, too. Yeah. So then that goes back to my question. How does that apply to what Jesus said? he said if you did that to the least of my brothers because what he's what he's talking about in matthew 25 specifically is that the body of christ is actually identified with christ himself um and, okay and so what that doesn't see in the turn is that those who are not believers they actually persecuted the church they left them naked and hungry and without water so they actually offended the very body of christ which was offending god himself okay okay so it's not just this generic you were good to, you were nice to people and you were not nice to people it's actually an offense to the very body of christ which is god which god identifies himself with his own his own body his church okay so that's kind of the idea. And that's, that's why I'm trying to get us to read this in a holistic way, instead of seeing this as individual good works that we're actually sharing in the goodness that is rooted in the, in the action of God to save us in Christ, because that's, that's exactly the right question, Monica, is that it, it helps us kind of understand what the New Testament is teaching in that way. Okay, very good. All right, number three. Here's the cool thing. Whose fruit will you reap? The fruit of the Spirit. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit. Good. So you're going back to Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, where in the world is the fruit of the Spirit? How do you get that? Who earned the fruit of the Spirit? Jesus. Yes. Okay. So this is the thing. If you are the church and you are doing good which isn't from you it's actually the goodness that comes from god in christ jesus guess what you get in the harvest you actually get jesus own inheritance his own fruit what jesus earned you get 
as a free gift. That's why we talk about living in, in heaven. That's why we talk about living in paradise. That's why we talk about living in bliss. That's why we talk about living a life in which there is no death, is no sin, is no sadness. Why? Because the son of God, Jesus Christ himself, lived a perfect life. He conquered death. He conquered. He had no sin, right? He lives perfectly in fellowship with God. Well, guess what? When you die, you reap what he sowed. But it's counted as what you sowed because you are living in the spirit of God and you receive as a gift the things that Christ earned. Okay. And this is what Paul is teaching us. He's saying, this is the life of the Christian. We, we don't look at it as though we were saved by grace through faith. And then we just depart from that and do whatever we want on the side. No, we say that is such an amazing salvation. That is such an amazing gift of forgiveness, justification, eternal life that we now live in that. We now live that out. That becomes our very life to live in the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. And we do so with the sure and certain promise that we will reap Jesus own rewards. Okay. We're running out of time, but if you look it up and it's in revelation uh, 22, where he says, behold, I am coming soon says Jesus. And my reward is with me. I will give it to everyone. Right. His reward is with him, not your reward, his reward. And he gives it to you freely. Okay. So that's what we're going to reap. Number four. So we have to get this one, right, Peter? It says, why do we grow weary of doing good? Because we're sinful. Yes, that, that's easy. So why does that make us tired of doing good? Because we don't want to do good. We want to do sin. Right. That's exactly right. So we're, we're in a constant battle between our sinful nature that's saying, no, 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 don't serve others. Don't do what God wants. Instead, serve yourself and do what you want and satisfy your desires. That's the way to happiness, right? And our, and our sinful flesh is always telling us that. It's always turning us back on ourselves, always saying, serve yourself. It's always saying, I mean, let's be honest. It's always saying, don't believe in God. That's just crazy talk. So that it's a constant war and it wears us down and it gets exhausting. And at some point it's easier to disbelieve than it is to believe. It's easier to just serve yourself and just stop all this. It's such a chore to have to think of others first and have to serve others. Why can't I just use my stuff for me and my time for me? And, and the flesh is always warring against us and saying, what is it saying? It's saying exactly what Adam and Eve fell prey to in the garden, which is that stuff of God, God doesn't know what he's talking about. There's better stuff over here, right? And they will even say the same thing that they fell prey to. They'll say, it's even a good creation of God. He wants you to use it for your happiness, right? He wants you to be happy. And so our sinful flesh actually reasons against the Holy Spirit. And, and what happens is we're, we're locked in this, in this constant fight between our sinful flesh and the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is admonishing, admonishing the church in Galatia is don't, don't give up the fight. Like, just don't get weary. Because here's the thing. The end is coming. And we know, I've read how, they, how it ends, and it ends really well. You actually get eternal life. And so he's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. I know it's a fight. I know it is. Don't give up. Don't return to the things of the flesh. Remember, in this entire book, he's talking about those 
who would point you to circumcision and following the Mosaic law, they would say, that's how you're saved. And Paul says, that's not how you're saved. That's just actually more concentration on your flesh and what you're doing. The real grace of God, the real salvation, justification by grace through faith is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That for you, not this for God, but instead God for you. And so he's saying, don't give up. Don't grow weary in this, right? Because goodness, let me just think about this. Goodness will actually last for all of eternity. The sinful stuff that we're tempted to follow is actually temporary and it ends in destruction. Okay. So and this is this is something that's very difficult for us as Christians. It's very difficult to not weary in doing good because it it is it is a constant battle. And I know a lot of people struggle with um, daily reading of scripture. It's it's just it's tedious, it's boring, it's not fun, it's it's not always that rewarding. And so um, I think a lot of times the church messes up by pretending that um, this will be more fun than sinning. And so we're kind of like, well, you know, you should read the Bible. It's great. And then people read Leviticus and they go, this ain't great. Right. Or even like Galatians and they go, this ain't great. This is kind of weird and boring. Well, it's not, we're not trying to, we're not trying to substitute entertainment for entertainment. The, the, the idea is that this is actually good. This is actually good for you. It's, it's the way that you were created. It's the way God made you. And it's actually good. Okay. And Paul's saying, don't give up. Don't be weary. Make this your life. Being in the goodness of God, being in the kingdom of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This is the, this is the sum total of our life as Christians. Okay. Kevin. Yep. I was almost, I was thinking about, is it in terms of the fact that once you start helping others, there's almost no end to it. Right. Because there's always somebody else that has a need. Always. You will actually never run out of opportunities to do good. Right. I mean, this is, this is the other reality is once you, once you kind of start doing good and, and looking around and seeing life this way, you'll never run out of opportunities to help, to love, to serve, to forgive. Um, yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. And um, those of us who have had the, the opportunities to do things like this, even temporarily, we realize that, you know, time spent in service is really blessed time. You really do just kind of look back and say, that was, that was really good time. That was kind of the fulfillment of who we're supposed to be as humans is loving one another, serving one another. Yep. Okay. We got to finish the letter. So let's, let's read 11 through 18. And then if we get through it, we can go back and pick up any other questions that we missed. So let's do, let's read Galatians 6, 11 through 18, the end of the letter. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. 
but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit, brothers. Be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Good. Okay, so this is, um, just before we get to the questions that much, um, this is actually something that's very interesting in ancient texts, is you'll see a change in handwriting at the very end of the letter, which is a sign that um, the rest of the letter was actually written by a scribe, and then the, the greeting at the very end was actually written by the by a different person. So Paul probably actually grabbed the whatever, pen, whatever you want to think of it in your head that they're writing with. It's something that puts ink on a page. There, there's lots of different ways to do it. You think of a quill or something like that if you want. And he probably grabbed it from him and actually wrote this in his own hand. And apparently, um, like some of us, he was afflicted with really bad handwriting. And he just wrote in huge, ridiculously awful letters, um, which was a mark of his writing. But the, the idea is that he's signing this. This is his signature. So everything that was written beforehand, it was written by a scribe. Paul's dictating this. A scribe is writing it down. And he's saying, yep, I'm, I'm putting my name on this. I, Paul, sent this letter to you, even though it's in a scribe's handwriting. I'm putting my signature on it. This is Paul, right? And he's like, apparently... He, he really had um, good handwriting. That's why there's there's hope for us, Dad. So the Apostle Paul. But I write a really tiny letter, so I'm not sure what happened there, but that's okay. Um, not much but, hope. Yeah, not much. Just 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 enough, hopefully. Um, so so that's that's just kind of what that means. And and by the way, they've actually found papyri lately in um, in Egypt that has this where you see a scribe's writing and you have different handwriting at the greeting part. And um, obviously you wouldn't hire a scribe to write the end. That makes no sense. So the scribe wrote the most and then you signed it yourself. Okay, so number, number six. How is Paul different from the other teachers? What is he saying that differentiates him? Focused on Christ rather than himself. Okay, he's, he's focused on Christ rather than himself. Good. So, so what he's saying is all these other teachers, they're trying to earn something by getting you to listen to them. Okay, they're gonna they're gonna boast in your flesh, right? They're going to they're trying to get you to to listen to them because they're gonna see you as uh, a trophy of the of theirs, right? They're gonna see your flesh as something they are conquering or kind of as, as their reward for their teaching. Paul's saying, that's not what I'm getting at at all. I don't actually want you. What I want is, is to be all about Christ and him crucified. Okay, so Paul is saying all these other teachers, they are teaching you stuff, not because of goodness, not because they're trying to 
present to you the grace of God in Christ Jesus, but they're, they're trying to get something from you. They're trying to manipulate you, right? Um, they're trying to um, take advantage of you in your flesh, okay? So that's what he says at the end of 13, um, that they might boast in your flesh, which is actually a little bit of a wordplay, and uh, we won't go too far into that because there are children present. But um, it, it is, yeah, they, they are trying to do something to manipulate them to boast in their flesh. So, so he's actually saying he's quite different than that, okay? He's, he's not about him and earning a, a, a anything from the Galatians for himself. But instead, he's simply driving the Galatians to the cross of, of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, um, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do this now. So let, how is this similar to John 10? Well, that, that is your teacher writing down a question so he doesn't forget to go to John 10. That's all that is because, you know, I forget stuff. So John 10, let's go to John 10 and look at it. Um, the Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. The fourth gospel is written by the Apostle John. It's called the Johannine Gospel because it's written by John. And it's different than the first three, which are called the Synoptic Gospels. Okay, Gospels are all named for the guy who wrote them. He made it easy for us. So, guess who wrote John? A guy named John. I like it. So, look at, at John chapter 10. I'm just going to read it to you and just listen and kind of follow along. John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And just by the way, um, he, he, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Next chapter in the Gospel of John, he'll actually do this to somebody. His name is Lazarus, and he has to be dead but he goes out and he calls his name and Lazarus comes out. Kind of cool. Okay. So to him, the goalkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, leads him out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech is used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them, which, you know, helps us out a little bit because we're in the same boat sometimes. So and then it goes in verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay. So what Paul is kind of alluding to here, the same thing that, that, that Jesus is talking about John 10 is that these false teachers that are coming in, they're not pointing you to life in Christ. They're pointing you back to themselves, back to yourself for their gain. Okay. So be, beware the teacher that comes teaching for personal gain. Beware the teacher that's going to make you change your flesh and then boast in what he's done for you. Instead, we want to be drawn to God's action to save us in Christ Jesus. Okay. Just like John or Jesus says in John chapter 10, he goes, look, I came to give life. 
these other guys they're trying to get stuff for themselves they're 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 thieving and stealing and robbing and whatever but i came to give you life so here's the thing these other these other teachers are all about the flesh all about gaining things but but the true gospel is not something in which the teacher gains anything for themselves or the theologian or the pastor or whatever but instead it's a gift real theology is all about what god has done for you and that is specifically then in the cross of jesus christ and so this is a major thing for us to evaluate teaching is listen to the intent listen to what's going on here are they driving you to yourself are they driving you to that you have to earn something are they gaining in the end what's going on here what we want to hear as the true reality of of theology of real teaching is that it's it's pointing to god and what he has done right all glory goes to god not to us and that's what paul is saying is the mark of good teaching right it's going to it's going to point to the death and resurrection of christ okay so he's he's kind of aligning himself with what john is talking or jesus is talking about in john 10 in that way Okay, any questions so far or thoughts? Kevin, um, he keeps going back to the law mm -hmm. and it has always felt to me like when they used the law, it was something they could manipulate. And I think you used that term before yep. um, that they could kind of make up the, the little tiny finite rules to make people follow these little finite rules mm -hmm. like like the spoons buried in the backyard right um, those that's my best example of mm -hmm. of just um man-made rules i guess right well, and also so man that's exactly right mm -hmm. so one one side of the coin is um if if law if you have to follow laws to to be saved the question is who's writing those laws right so who has the power who, who in that system actually has the power to say, well, God really wants you to follow these rules, right? I know it says this, but in reality, what he means is you got to follow these rules and then you make up a whole other set of rules. And, and that's, that's kind of what the Pharisees were doing, right? Is they, they'd said, well, you know, we need to follow the Torah to be God's people. And um, instead of, you know, really worry about the Torah, let's, let's invent other laws. So you can't break the Torah. We'll make sure we'll put a, a, We'll hedge a man around with other rules so that you can, even if you break our rules, you still have broken Torah rules. And that's, that's kind of what they did. They made up all these rules and you're exactly right. That's kind of manipulating people. And you say, well, who, who gets to control those rules? Jesus talks about this in, in gospel of Mark too, right? You're, you're setting aside the commands of God to following the, the rules of men. Um, this is, this is not true worship of God. Um, the other thing that we would do is, is um, we also invent gods humans always also invent gods um, to satisfy themselves because they're looking at ways to please God. And so when, when we stand before the almighty eternal God, we can't measure up. It's just not possible. He's perfect. We're not, there's no way to measure up. So a lot, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll invent different gods. We'll say, no, well, the real God doesn't do that. He, he does this. And, and we'll just start making stuff up that we can live up to or, or a God that we can deal with. And that's really, uh, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to invent a God 
that we can identify with or that can come to us and meet us where we are because we actually have in Jesus God and man met together and the result of God and man meeting together is not that you are excluded because of your sins but that your sins are forgiven because of his action okay and this is why the gospel is the power of God for salvation because it is the good news that God and man have met together and it didn't result in sinners being excluded from the presence of God, but instead it resulted from sinners being forgiven and welcomed into the presence of God, right? So, so this is really why Paul is getting, like you said, the entire letter, he keeps bringing about the law. And he's like, look, the law doesn't do this. The law doesn't bring you in. It just, it can't. As a matter of fact, if you start trying to follow the law, there'll be no end of you trying to follow the law and you'll never get there. It just, that's not what the law does. Um, there's two reasons. One, that's just not the role of the law. And two, you couldn't keep it if it was. So instead, in Christ Jesus, what needs to be done has been done. It's, it's been accomplished for you. It's a gift. It's a free gift. Does that, does that make sense? Does that help? Okay, so number eight, we have three questions to do in nine minutes. That's pretty good. We're doing well. So number eight, so where is our boasting? In the cross of Jesus. Right, in the cross of Jesus. Um, let's see, do we have time to do this? I was going to have us look at Jeremiah. Why not? We don't have a look at Jeremiah. Let's, let's turn to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. It's a big old book in the Old Testament. You'll find it eventually. Psalms is kind of in the middle of your Bible. Then you get kind of go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you get to Isaiah, which is a giant book. And then after Isaiah is Jeremiah. I'm saying all that. I'm really hoping I remember where in Jeremiah because Jeremiah is a big book. I feel like it's in chapter nine. I'm really hoping it is. Yeah, good. Okay, Jeremiah nine verse 23 okay so jeremiah if you're in ezekiel or daniel you've gone too far if you're in a minor prophet which are 12 books you can't really pronounce micah's in there you might notice micah for next week but if you're going there you've gone too far and you go back towards the beginning of the old testament a little bit jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 now we, at the very beginning of this i talked about micah and the coming um assyrian doom and the babylonian captivity and that kind of stuff Jeremiah is writing when the Babylonians are knocking on the door, right? They're, the Jeremiah is all the Babylonian captivity of the southern kingdom, Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about, okay? So Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, listen to this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and know me, knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So let our boasting be in this, that God rejoices to love us, that God has done all things needed to save us. Let our boasting not be in our flesh, not in our riches, not in our wisdom, not in our abilities, not in our ability to shoot a three-point shot, but instead let our boasting be 
in Jesus Christ. This is who we are. And this is the very best part of us, that we are loved by God, that you are loved by God. You're a child of God. Nobody gets to say otherwise because God has done it. He's taking care of it, right? Now, the result of that is you get goodness. So we don't walk around boasting in things that are passing away. We don't go around boasting in things that, that actually aren't worth boasting in. But instead, we boast, we find our our delight, we find our fulfillment, we find our meaning in the very cross of Jesus Christ. Now, this is very ironic for Paul to say, because remember, for us, the cross is something we wear around our neck as a symbol of our faith. But for Romans and the people in the Roman um, Empire at the time that Paul is writing this, some people didn't even say the word cross in polite conversation because it was such a despicable thing. This was an awful way for people to die. It was a horrible public display of awfulness. And it really was designed to make everyone scared of doing anything that would be punished by the Roman government or is actually, ironically, um, something they inherited from the Assyrians. But the, the whole idea was the cross was not something to boast in. The, the cross was a shameful thing. It was a horrible thing. And so what Paul is saying is that this goodness of God in Christ, it actually does flip everything on its, on its head, right? Our, our sinful nature teaches us to rejoice in our flesh. Our sinful nature teaches us to, to find goodness in what fulfills us. But the spirit teaches us a better goodness. It teaches us the goodness that is God in Christ Jesus. And therefore we boast, not in the things that this world would boast in, not this thing that our flesh would teach us to boast in, but instead we boast in this, that God rejoices to love us with a steadfast love, that God rejoices to forgive our sins, that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the flesh to bear our sins on his in his body on the tree, and that three days later he rose again from the dead and gives to us eternal life. That's our boasting. And Annika, you want to talk about doing good to those outside the church. Let them know this about you, that Jesus died for you and Jesus died for them. Let them know that about you. Let that be the most important thing in our life is that God loves, that God has sent his son to redeem this entire world. Let that be our boast. Okay. That's what Paul's getting at here as he closes out the letter. Now, remember, the point of the letter is <laughs> you're not boasting in the fact that you're a Jew. You're not boasting in the fact that you're a Gentile. You're not boasting in the fact that you're following the law. You're not boasting in the fact that you're outside the law. Instead, you're boasting in Christ Jesus, right? Because Jew or Gentile, born under the law, born outside the law, all of us redeemed in Christ Jesus. All of us are one in Christ because of God's love for us. Okay? Number nine. So who is the Israel of God? He says it's a very interesting phrase. So in the end of verse 16, it says, well, 16 says, and for all of us who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So I just said, he, he's, this whole letter is, don't mark yourself as a Jew or a Gentile. But then he says the Israel of God. So who is the Israel of God? We, the church of believers. Right. Good. So this is one of the places where we actually understand that the New Testament teaches that Israel is now fulfilled well, I could actually leave kingdom of God up there. That would work too. It's fulfilled in the kingdom of God, but it's it's fulfilled in the church. 
Okay. Now, I just want to say this. We don't have a lot of time to go over this. We have like three minutes to do a whole other question. But Israel is not fulfilled in America. Okay. Israel is not, all the promises that were made to Israel are not something you read and say, ooh, that's about America today. No, Israel is fulfilled in the church. Okay. So when you read the Old Testament, the fulfillment of those promises, the fulfillment of the things, and this is important as we're heading to Micah for next week, the fulfillment of these things is not how America lives in society and the things that we're facing in our world today. That's not the fulfillment of that. No, no, no. The fulfillment of Israel and all the things we're going to read about in Micah are actually in the church. Okay. And, and what we have is that Paul does this in his letters. He does it explicitly in Romans 9, 10, 11, especially, is that he says, you know, the real Israel, the true Israel, are not those who are descended from Abraham physically, but instead those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, we read that in Galatians chapter 3, that the real children of Abraham are those who have faith in Christ Jesus. That's the real Israel. Okay? Now, the last question we're going to finish is, how is all the spiritual stuff, I was making it up, how is all the spiritual talk fleshly? What why how does all this spiritual kind of out there esoteric stuff is it is it real is it how does paul make it very fleshly all of a sudden because we still live it out in our lives our lives and that also seems like it could be tied somehow to jesus's dual nature as both man flesh and god exactly that's exactly right so look at what he says in verse 17 from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, just hear this and understand this. Circumcision is a mark on the body. He just said circumcision means nothing. But instead, there are marks on the body that are of Christ Jesus. And what is that? That is that we actually live our faith. Okay? The Christianity is not a religion of the head or religion of philosophy or religion of spiritual things floating around out there. No, Christianity is is earthy. It's real. It's fleshly. And like you said, because our Savior is God in the flesh. He's not God make-believe floating around up there. He's actually God in the flesh who physically died on a cross, who physically rose on the third day, who physically lived in the first century in Palestine. We know this. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Why do we say that? Because it was a real historical event. It's not just made up. It actually happened. You can go back and read the history books. It actually happened. There was a guy named Jesus. He did these things. Okay. And so we say this, this is actually a reality in our flesh. This isn't a make-believe religion. You're not just doing good kind of in your head. No, actually go do good. Actually go change the way you live and follow the will of God. Why? Because it's good for you. Because when we live out our faith as the body of Christ, we're actually living out the goodness of God for us in Christ Jesus. But most of all, most of all, hear this from the book of Galatians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. See, it all comes back in this very last verse. He comes back to the idea of grace. That what we're talking about here. It's not something that we're saying you have to be good enough to get or you have to earn it. But what he's saying is this is God's love freely given to you. 
through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you are now the children of God simply and fully because of the action of God to save you in Christ Jesus. Okay. That's really the point of Galatians. All right. We are, we, it is past time. I don't want to keep anyone too late, but do we have any quick questions before we go? I can hang out afterwards. We can talk about stuff. If you have questions, but do you have any quick questions for the group before we go? Okay, let's pray. And then, like I said, if you have any questions, you can hang out afterwards. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, teach us to live at our faith, to live in the very goodness that is our Savior, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, and the promise of eternal life. We pray that you would grant us grace to overcome our flesh, to overcome the temptations of, our, of this world. But Lord, when we fall, and we do fall often, Restore us again by that same grace in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn us to the cross of our Savior, Jesus, where we have forgiveness of sins. Let us rejoice in the empty tomb where we have the promise of the resurrection. And teach us to live lives of joy and peace because of your spirit who dwells in us. Bless us now this night. Let us sleep in the peace of your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Christ is risen. He's risen, risen indeed. Thanks, everyone. I Thanks, thank you, Kevin. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Next thank week, Micah. Good night. Next week. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. I was a little disappointed. I thought.